We come out of a salvational culture. You know, we we Judeo-Christian. It's a, a salvific worldview, and I wonder if our views about tonification and sedation and our own role in the, in the as acupuncturists is somehow very inaccurate. Because are we the one really putting the ong in? Dr. Bear really was listening to what the body needed and responding rather than acting as the as, as the person dumping the stuff in. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Muddle diagnosis leads to muddled treatment. There's no such thing as cover the bases. That is when you can pretty much be sure you've run out of ideas and lost the scent of the trail. When you're grasping at the wind of relying on theory and something that someone told you, it's time to pause. Go back to whatever basics you rely on and start again. Start with something simple. Are you looking at excess or deficiency? Is the patient hot or cold, wet or dry? It's not easy. You have to take a stance. Commit to a discernment and direction. It takes some courage especially when you're unsure. And if you're going to craft a treatment that is precise and effective, it's essential to know what you're looking at. And yes, you'll be wrong. Yes, there is the constant traveling companion of uncertainty who relentlessly dogs your ego and slowly distills wisdom. Clinic brings us face to face with everything we don't know. It hones your spirit with a daily host of humble pie. It reminds knowledge that it's a flickering flame in an ocean of mystery. Sometimes I think it would be easier to be a carpenter, fix plumbing or weld-together bits of metal that working with inanimate objects would make for a simpler livelihood than dealing with the complex living system of a human being. But I suspect I'm wrong about that because everything has its own quirk and character. And then there's the most important part of the puzzle, the most essential ingredient in anything we set out to work on or accomplish, and that is the state of mind we are in as we focus our attention and do our work in the world. The mind is so curious with its propensity towards story, towards sense-making, towards weaving the diversity of experience into a sense of consistency. Clinic provides us every day with an opportunity to see if we are squeezing our patients into our ideas or if we are open enough to allow the impressions we receive to somehow percolate through the awareness in a way that allows us for seeing anew in the moment and being able to respond in a helpful way. It requires a kind of fortitude to take a stand with your diagnosis and aim your treatment directly at it without adding a few weak, weaselly, just-in-case points. But with medicine, you'll learn more and in time be more helpful if you don't hedge your bets. It's better to treat what you see and allow the results to clarify your diagnosis. Treating what you see sounds easy and it is essential if you want to craft a targeted and effective treatment. That's when acupuncture gets conflated with magic and patients wonder if it's possibly true that they feel as good as they do. But seeing clearly the underlying dynamic that gives rise to the troubles and symptoms for which patients seek us out, 
that's more complicated. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one -on -one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period 
on your new Jane account. In this conversation with David Toon, we discuss the perspectives and work of the blind Japanese acupuncturist, Dr. Bear, who passed away a few months ago. David has been a longtime student of Dr. Bear and got to know his work and see how it changed over the years. Like all effective practitioners, Dr. Bear's work changed over time as his clinical experience shaped how he thought and how he treated. And while his treatments grew simpler over time, it was not because he was thinking in a simplistic fashion, but rather that in time, he learned to use less to do more. Let's get into this. David Toon, welcome to Geological. Hey, Michael, how are you? I am good. So happy to be hanging out with you again. Yeah, it's good to be back. Today, we're going to talk about Dr. Bear, your teacher, Dr. Bear, who sadly passed away. Well, it'd be a few months ago at this point, by the time people listen to it. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, he's um, he passed away in August, I, uh, September, the beginning of September, I believe. Word has kind of moved through the Japanese acupuncture world, and I got condolences from colleagues and as far away as uh, Sweden and England and and um, Peru actually um, sent me sent me notes of so that was really wonderful to hear so many people from so far away that had um, been influenced by him or he had uh, somehow or another t- talked or t- with or trained. Surprising, isn't it? Really is. And you'd studied with Dr. Bear um, a while back too. We've done a seminar. Or two I did with some him. study with Dr. Yeah. Bear because of yeah. because of you, actually. And <laughs> you know, I remember. I think it was 2011. Look, listen to us. We're like you know old guys. Like, hey, remember back then? 2011, I think it was. We were in Chicago studying Shang Hunlin with Arnaud. That's right. And. Uh, I remember sitting down next to you that first day of class and we're, we're, I don't remember if it was that day or some other day, but I remember at one point you said to me, hey, this stuff that we're learning from Arnaud, this is the herbal equivalent of what I've been taught to do with acupuncture with Dr. Bear. And, and that got my attention because so often we have this idea that herbal medicine and acupuncture, these two very different kinds of things, or they, they look at physiology or they look at healing or the, you know, the human body very, very different ways. And yet here you are saying my acupuncture teacher is doing with acupuncture, what, what we're learning to do here with herbs. And that, that really got my attention. Yeah. So no, you make a really interesting point. I think that um, that remains kind of the focal point. There's a there's a theoretical consistency between a, what I'll call the old medicines, but also sort of like a a pragmatic consistency, which in that if you see something, treat it. If the body tells you it's okay, treat it. If the pulse tells you. The, to give a certain formula like a guizhou tong or a zhenwu tong, give it. 
You don't have to get overly theoretical about it. And I think that's a, a really interesting juncture between the two. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say when the body tells you, what is it that you're paying attention to? I mean, I think we're all looking for signs, symptoms, some idea of knowing, am I doing something that will be helpful? So what is it that you're looking for? Yeah. So, I mean, compare and contrast, you know, in the, in the, in the kind of classical methods, if you've trained in the same system with the herb, herbs, like I might actually say to Michael, Hey, I've got a, I've got a Zhen patient. And that'll actually be because of the way the pulses actually read and actually felt. And then you and I both know what the basic pulse confirmations are, pulse signs are, pulse patterns are. With Dr. Bear, he, uh, I guess, refined what he called the okay method or the check method, which is if the acupuncture point that you're considering using checks out or gives you, quote, the okay sign, then you go ahead and treat it. You actually don't worry about why that's the right point. You can just go ahead and treat it knowing that that's the point that the body needs right then, right there. Which leads, of course, to the question of how do you know it's an okay point? Yeah. So, you know, and this is somewhat similar to some of the Japanese systems where they they do a lot of work in, in study groups. You start to feel for when the body starts to improve. So if the area of your body you're touching gets is too tight it starts to loosen up or if the luster of the skin in an area starts to improve as you're uh, checking a point uh, then you'll know that's that's an okay sign and so there's a lot of uh, clinical work and work in groups that it that you need to do to develop the skills to make that happen so for instance in dr bear's method you'll actually use one hand to put your finger over the point and check the point with one hand. And then you'll basically feel with the other hand on a different part of the body. So it could be the pulse. You'll watch and feel for the pulse to soften or to become more moderate, or you'll feel for like the tissues, the muscle tissues, say like in, if you're palpating or feeling the neck with the non point selection hand. And so you're actually using both hands, one to locate the point and the other one to feel the body's feedback and the patients start to saw the body's going to start to improve. And when you feel that the body is improved, you know, hardness becomes softness, deficiency becomes more moderate, becomes less, less deficient. Then you've got your okay sign. So it's sort of using both hands both at the point, but elsewhere in the body. Because if something is beneficial to one part of the body, you should be able to feel it in another part of the body, whether it's the pulse or whether it's, say, the, the neck muscles, the SEM muscles, which tend to be tight in most people. You know, muscles on the back, medial to the scapula, for instance, those tend to be really you know, messed up, jacked up in a lot of people. So, so it's, it, and I think this is one of the reasons why people enjoy doing acupuncture and 
some of the Japanese styles so much because it, you know, it's very palpatory. If you're not intellectually inclined, if you're more like sensate based, yeah, then it's a way of getting information sort of step by step as you go. I, I know that in my training years ago at Sion, you know, we did regular TCM, we did, mm-hmm. we did some other things as well. And we also had Japanese acupuncture. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I noticed about that, and I actually found it really hard to track at that moment, because I like the idea of I'm going to find these signs and symptoms, and I'm going to craft a treatment. The treatment will match the idea in my head of what I think is going on. And, and there was something kind of intellectually satisfying about that. When I was doing the Japanese stuff, it was like, well, check. Like you find something, okay, what releases that? Okay, you do that. So the diagnosis was not a one and done. It was this ongoing kind of experiment. This, this, what's next, what's next? If this, then this, and then where you end up. It's like it become, the treatment becomes like a chess game where you're moving the pieces down mm. the chessboard within a specific treatment to the final end point of the, the conclusion of the treatment. And so, yeah, so the, the whole flow of the treatment beginning to end can look very different and just become sort of like water flowing down kind of a, a, a gully or a ravine. We're not really sure where the water is going to flow, but once it starts flowing in that area, it becomes very, very obvious as to where the flow is or should be. So it, it, is, it is very satisfying in that sense. Well, it, it takes some time. I think to get used to working that way, it's, it's one, I mean, when I think of a, a satisfying way to treat, I usually think of a way to treat where I feel like I know how to orient myself at any given moment and during the process of treatment. Right, right. Well, you know, and you, you made this interesting observation about for those who are not intellectually inclined. And I said, well, yeah, you got me pegged right there. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> No, but 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 actually, it 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 becomes a way to confirm your understanding of the of the of the theory and the classics. You know, someone would you know some uh, someone reached out to me when uh, when Doctor Bear died, and said, you know, do I do Nanjing? You know, uh, chapter sixty nine, and I said sometimes, and he said, you know, this was in text, and he said, what do you mean? I said, when the points check out, then I'll do it. You know, and sometimes I'll use different chapters from the Nanjing, and sometimes I'll use different theories from the Neijing. It's depending on what checks out. What if the body, t- patient's body, tells me that's what I need to treat? Then I'll treat that, and I can use different theories depending on what the body needs at the time. You know, same with the. Um, you know, I'm really interested in learning the six confirmations and working with that from an acupuncture standpoint. Because the checking method, the okay method, should basically give very good feedback as to whether that's what the patient needs at that time or not. I, I suspect you're right. And, you know, I know the engaging vitality folks, if I'm translating them properly here, would say that 
anything that's happening in the body, any flow of chi, any physiological process should have some kind of palpatory mark on it. That makes 100% sense. And I think that's really where acupuncture is kind of, that's where it's strongest, is that direct feedback and the ability to have change and adapt the treatment to what the patient needs within the course of a treatment. It's brilliant. Now, Dr. Bear was blind. And so he had nothing but palpation to work with. Right. And it's he lost his eyesight in an accident, I believe when he was 26. Let's just say mid to late 20s. You know, he was originally trained as a horticulturalist. And I believe that the accident that he had involved chemicals that would have been applied, you know, in that setting, basically. So he started life out with his eyesight, lost his eyesight. And then, you know, in his words, after going absolutely crazy for about four years, decided to go back and, you know, retrain in Chinese medicine and then studied uh, with the Toyohari people and actually uh, was a student of uh, uh, Fukushima Kodo um, at the, at the center in, in Tokyo, basically. How did you cotton on to these methods and, and meet Dr. Bear? This was a career change for me. I was really, um, you know, originally kind of in, was trained as an attorney, was really not very good at it, didn't like it. You know, it's always a you know chicken and the egg thing. Are you not good at something because you don't like it or you don't like it because you're not good at it? And, and I, I tend to think it was the latter. But at anyway, I was not incredibly happy. But um, I, so I started Chinese medicine school and really wanted to... You know, I'd studied martial arts for a long time. I knew that you know, the lineage kind of methodology was where I really wanted to go. And so I figured that I would end up either with a, I wanted to find either a Taiwanese, a Korean, Vietnamese, or a Japanese instructor kind of from one of these old schools, basically. And so that was sort of my orientation going into school at AIMC Berkeley. And uh, my first semester there, there was a fellow student of mine at the school. Her name was Lori Zars. She left a, uh, she had gone down and was studying with Dr. Bear. And she left a couple of flyers out in just the break room and stuff. So I talked to one of my Japanese teachers and I said, is it stupid for me to go study with this guy? And she said, no, no, it's all good. Go ahead. You know, do the weekend seminar with him. But just know it's a really hard system to make work. So uh, I went down to Santa Cruz and just kind of had this instant sort of connection with him and with the system and pretty much made up my mind that that's the system I was going to study. That's the guy that I wanted to train with in my first semester at school. What was it about meeting him and what was it that you found that weekend for this air quotes here, hard system? That made you go, oh yeah, this is it. You know, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sound, you know, too weird about it. But one of his students 
kind of gave me a set of his uh, Dr. Bear's needles and put them in my hand. I just sort of closed my hand around them and I just said, this feels familiar, this feels okay. So there was that sense, you know, of like, this is where I want to go. You know, and, and I, I mean, it's, a, I just, it's a stupid, it's a stupidest ass answer you've ever heard. But that's kind of, that was kind of it. The more intellectual kind of more sensible answer is, I was really impressed that he didn't use herbs. And I thought the, the results that he was getting seemed to be results that in the TCM program I was studying, the Chinese teachers were saying, oh, and if you want to work with this problem or this problem, you need to use herbs. This is not an acupuncture problem. And here's this blind acupuncturist doing this stuff that I had been told shouldn't be result. I was, he was getting results that I was told shouldn't be had with acupuncture. So that was intriguing to me. Right. Well, at least the acupuncture teachers that you had that were saying that couldn't get those results. Well, yeah. And I think, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And then again, I think a lot of it it just has to do with the division of labor within TCM, you know, where, where the herbal system really got top drawer in the method and in this way that TCM was systematized. So I'm just, I'm thinking here, you got these needles in your hand, you close your hands around them and you go, this, this feels okay, which is in, in essence, as we were talking earlier, how you decide a point is okay to treat, right? There's, there's that sense. What is it about, this is kind of a philosophical question. Maybe not what is it, it's more like how is it? Because I do this myself. I want to preference my mind and the ideas and the rationale over what I'm actually in fact experiencing in a moment. Can I actually trust what I'm feeling with my hand? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting because, you know, going back to theory versus what palpation, one of the things that Dr. Bear would get really pissed off about is if we talk about sort of constitutional acupuncture. If he, if we basically said, oh, this, this patient is X, Y, or Z, and more or less what he would say is just treat what's in front of you. If you treat what's in front of you and you treat what you're finding, you'll always get the right result. But if you start using your head and your brain and try to think, well, such and such is a this or a water sign or a fire element or a, you know, a you know, a kidney patient or liver cheese stagnation patient, he said, then you run the risk of missing the diagnosis and missing the treatment. But I'd say it took a long time to get that sort of out of, it takes a long time to untrain that because it's so nice to go in thinking I know something, thinking I'm actually a smart dude. (laughs) (laughs) So nice to think I know something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Right. There is that. It's something you got to train yourself out of. I'm working on that. Yeah. And I may have pulled the classic. I may have pulled the classic. I answered the question I wanted to answer, not the one you asked. So feel free to ask the question again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So I I, I get it. There's a part of me, and this is one of the things that I actually really love about acupuncture, is there are a lot of different ways to work. 
<laughs> you could say something that really makes sense, but the opposite is often also true. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, right? So, I, I want to come to this thing about treating what's in front of you. Because, yes, I get it. And there's something about not being engaged in your own mentation, mm-hmm. which is now taking you away from being with the patient. If you can be with the person in that moment, what do they need in this moment? There's something about that. Now, that being said, we also have these fantastic lines about the average doctor treats mm-hmm. what they see, the superior doctor treats what's not yet there, and you know, like the greatest doctor, you know, they treat because they already know the root and blah 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 blah. They would, in other words, if you treat what you see, you're the worst possible doctor. So, on one hand, treat what you see. On the other hand, don't be fooled by what you see. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because that line, uh, you know, functional equivalents of both of that line are in both in the Neijing and in the Nanjing. So, you know, both authors thought it was pretty important to put that there. I actually think we tend to interpret that kind of from our Western, you know, we love in the West to do this whole mystical East thing and make something, you know, spiritual in a way that it's really not. I think all that saying is the same thing that martial arts are talking about. There's the, they'll say, first you have to follow the form and you follow the form sort of slavishly and you really, really just do it just because you follow the way your teacher teaches you. And then you, the second phase is the mastery. And then the third phase is you break out of that and then you start to develop you know, this kind of intrinsic intuitive knowledge, but it's really just the muscle memory and the repository of everything you've basically, you, you mentioned at the beginning that these, these, you know, developing the, um, the, the palpatory skills takes a lot of time and that it does. But if you spend the time, you start to just get this sense of just knowing where the points are and it does seem kind of like mm. mystical stuff but it's really not I, so I, th- I think that i think that those those lines in the classics are really just just telling us study damn hard focus on gaining clinical skills and you'll arrive at this phase of knowing eventually but don't skip steps that's kind of my interpretation you know the anti-intellectual <laughs> I, I don't read Chinese, medical Chinese very well answer to, to, those, to those lines. Don't skip steps. And my impression of when people say it's a hard system, it's because they wanted to sip the steps. They didn't want to take the time to get the basics and the fundamentals and just to drill it into their brain. I just finished the teaching of the uh, Fukushin class through the ICEM. And I put up a model. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's called the cortical homunculus, basically where it's a proportional diagram of the human body based on the percentage or proportion of the brain dedicated to each body part. And you look at it and the hands, the hands are giant. They're a massive sense organ. And so if you just use that massive sense organ, all of it, not just 
you know, fingers and just get your hands on the body of the patient and, and keep it there. You can't help but get really good at, at retraining the brain to, to pick that stuff up. Well, the brain is already picking it up, right? I mean, if you look at that homunculus, what it's saying is, here's what the brain's picking up. Now, what we're paying attention to, <laughs> that's a different story. Yes, right. And I think that's why just reverting back to kind of a formula point prescription or theory, I think it's kind of sort of went that way, you know, the more we can rely on theory, the, the, that way, when we have a clinical failure, it, it protects our ego from, well, you know, the theory didn't work or something Chinese medicine didn't work. And, you know, maybe we can go to a Worsley or, you know, bootstrapping, you know, modern medicine on, on top of Chinese medicine or uh, psychology on top of Chinese medicine, because I think it's an, I think it's an out for our ego when we're just direct sensation, sensory input from the body. We have to basically just be real and be present with the patient. And Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well integrated diagnostic, theoretical, and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Ostensibly, many of us get into this work because we're looking for that kind of connection with the people that we help. So there's that. Right. What I know for myself at this point about theory, other than my mentation enjoys it, because, you know, I like playing with my mind. <laughs> it's fun. But at this point, I know very clearly, and this, this might, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. The most useful part of theory for me at this point, I'm not even sure this is true, but I'm going to say it anyway. We'll see if it feels true. The most useful part of theory at this point is that when I get lost in the treatment and I'm not sure exactly what's going mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. and, the, and the sentence goes through my mind, well, according to the theory, when I hear myself say that to myself, I've lost the scent of the trail. I've lost it. When I think according to the theory, it means stop, just pause, pause, breathe, What's the pulse feel like? Is this excess or is this deficiency? It, it lets me know, take a moment, recalibrate. 
No, Michael, I think you're right on. And I like this. I like the wording you used. I've lost the scent of the trail. And there are two pieces to that. On one hand, going back to the theory can provide a signpost for us. But I think we have to use it as a signpost to get beyond it and underneath it and back into what is the body telling us rather than just completing the treatment just based on the theory. Really nice imagery with that. Um, sort of a, a hunter, you know, a, tra a dog, a bloodhound who's lost the scent. I, that makes sense. Yeah, because sometimes I feel like I'm in it and I'm following. I'm following. I feel like I'm following. I'm in that flow with it. And, and then other times it, it's gone. But I want to come back to something else here because it's been a while since I studied with Dr. Bearer. But as I recall... As hands-on treat in front, treat what's in front of you as he, as he was. Weren't there certain things that he would often look for or do? Weren't I don't know if the term protocol is exactly right, but wasn't there like certain kinds of treatment that he would do? And he'd like to do some stuff on the front, and then some stuff on the back. I mean, there was kind of a um, recipe. Mm -hmm. Not recipe may or may not be the right word, other than yeah. you know you want to put the flour in the bowl before you put the you know liquids in the bowl so to speak yeah yeah no absolutely and i think that goes there was a form or a kata and a protocol mm -hmm. and even right towards the end and you know dr yeah. bear would always he would we had some really interesting conversations me and uh bob quinn uh the last seminar i taught in portland where dr bear would say i do punk acupuncture. I'm a punk, punk rock. I'm a punk acupuncture. So he was trying to eliminate as much form as possible. And, and, and Bob was like, no, Dr. Bear, you're a beautiful jazz musician. And, and Dr. Bear said, no punk, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but so in other words, Dr. Bear was rigorously. I can, to I can totally see that. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was, a, it was, and this was after a few beers and it was, they were but he was, Dr. Bear was unswerved, unswayed. You know, I think Bob thought like, you know, I think maybe he's not, doesn't have a grasp of the English, you know. It's like, no, he does. No, no, he, he, he yeah, does. No, he's, he's just shredding the stomach channel, that's all. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, so Dr. Bear is sort of like Ramon's, yeah, Ramon's uh, acupuncture. But but as opposed to like prog, <laughs> prog rock, you know. Anyway, but he was trying to eliminate more and more, but there always was a pro protocol and a form, you know, and one of the well, things form, that, you know, I like that word form. Yeah. I like that word form protocol to me at any rate. It, it's like a flow chart and you don't have to put yourself in it. Right. But a right. form. Okay. That's different. That's something that you train yourself toward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and even in terms of over the years of doing the treatments and, you know, initially a, a treatment of Dr. Bear's would take an hour and 15 minutes. You take the, you take the protocol and the form and you start to then fold it into, you know, layer it one over another, but you're still, you're still doing all of the pieces and you're not skipping the steps. You know, like, like for instance, you know, one of the things that stayed all the way to the very end is this fundamental treatment that's common in a lot of the Japanese systems, but it sounds very formulaic. It, REN 12, then REN 4, 6, DO 12, DO 4, Yao Yan, 
uh, you be 39 and you be 59. That's sound. That's as that's as formulaic as it gets. But the form also has you know where point selection, where you're tonifying, where you doing even, where you reducing, which side of the body were you you know needling on UB39, UB59. And so that within this structure was still almost infinite variation and subtlety. Could you give us a uh, an overview, a, a glimpse of what the form looked like? Yeah, I mean, so basically first is bleed if necessary and then identify the location of the, of the disease. And depending on where the location of the disease is, then you would go and apply, you know, either something that was somewhat similar to say like a meridian balancing that say like the Toyohari people would do, or you might focus on shoe and moo points depending on if the disease were more uh, deeper, or you might actually needle the collaterals mostly. And then from there, then you would do the fundamental treatment, which I just mentioned. And then you would focus on alleviating the patient's suffering, which I call making sure your patients come back next time. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so then, you know, you, you might, you know, needle for the pain or needle for the primary symptom. And then after, then you would do moxa as needed, either direct or indirect. And in my clinic, I treat with an assistant and 98% of the patients get some form of ginger moxa. So there still is a structure and a flow to it. And, um, and then applying different theories as to where the location of the disease is. And one of the things that is, I think, characteristic about, you know, when I saw Dr. Bear treating, I went to Japan and visited him the first time in 2005. But one of the things I noticed even then, I was only there for a couple of days, is all the patients left feeling that day, the day, two days I was there, feeling between 70 and 80% better. And I thought, I will never starve as an acupuncturist if I can do that. <laughs> Send every single patient out feeling between 70 and 80% better. Well, and I think that's a good mark to shoot for. Because if you can get the body moving in the right direction, then the body takes itself the rest of the way. Now you're really strengthening the system. Yeah, and there's a, there's this interesting piece in terms of the overall treatment method that is I think fascinating in the in terms of why only seventy, why only three quarters, why not more? Um, and I'll tell patients, I said, and and sometimes patients will actually lie so that we don't stop it when we're three quarters better. They'll keep going more, but what'll happen is they'll, so I'll say, if we go higher than that, we risk an over-treatment. If, mm -hmm. and I'll tell them this, I'll tell them, how, I'll tell them what an over-treatment looks like. You'll leave tonight, you'll be singing my praises, you'll be, you'll, you'll be, I'm cured, I feel great. And the next morning you will feel like you were hit by a truck because your body wasn't able to sustain the amount that we did and it was unable to assimilate the improvement 
and and so there's actually a protocol that I'll have where a pa- if I, I'll tell if I think I've overtreated a patient, I'll tell them the symptoms and signs, and I'll say, "Call me tomorrow. Come back in." Because what will have happened is we will have, uh, it's like putting a 40 amps of, uh, of, of juice on a 20 amp circuit. You're going to blow, you're going to flip the circuit breaker. So we'll come back in. It takes about three to four minutes to reset the circuit breaker. But I'd much rather you just tell me and be honest when you're actually 70 to 80% better. Because <laughs> I have one patient and she's particularly frugal, spelled C H E A P, and she's always complaining about the cost of the cost of the uh, the treatment or the cost of the herbs and stuff. And yet, I mean, we're talking, you know, she's avoided four different surgeries. You know, her her liver numbers went. You know, she was able to get off of her. Um, her autoimmune drugs and her liver numbers are still fine. So, so she definitely understands, but she wanted to go hiking in Colorado two days later and she didn't want to pay for two treatments. So she said, I'm just going to basically not tell him when I'm 70% better. So she came back in the next day and said, David, I have a confession to make. I lied. I kept, I kept going, but what, but what it does is, is, is if we stop when that, and Doctor Bear always would tell me, you know, stop when it's about seventy percent better. Don't go above eighty for chronic conditions. Acute, don't go above fifty. But what happens is the body needs to struggle with its own experience, and if it doesn't, it will just be. We just, we just create acupuncture uh, addicts. The body incorporates the need for the acupuncture into the treatment protocol, and we don't get them better. David, you're trying to make your patients come back every week. It's better for business, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, I get <laughs> yeah, You and I both know the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, we do. So two questions that come out of this. The first is, how do you reset their circuit breaker? Because if you just over-treated them... Mm-hmm. How's more treatment going to be gooder? Isn't yeah. more, you know, yeah. more is more. Yeah. So what do you do? How do you flip well, that circuit breaker? Yeah. So what I do is I just have them come in and I just look at where the imbalance is. And so I just do the the last section of the treatment protocol, which is just involved with uh, controlling the pain, basically. And so or helping with the pain. But it only takes a few minutes. So it's, you know, you're applying the contact needle either in a way that you kind of learn the system. But it doesn't take, a, it only takes a few minutes basically just to get them so that, that everything's balanced out. And a lot of it, honestly, it's the night's sleep. They need a night's sleep to just reassimilate everything, mm-hmm. whether it's at a nervous system level or what, what have you. Now, what about being able to notice signs of overtreatment yourself. Can you, I mean, you're putting your hands on people, you're palpating, you're paying attention to what's there in the moment. Mm -hmm. Are there palpatory markers that you've noticed that make you think, "Uh uh-oh? I mean, really, it comes down to, does the patient feel good to be true? If they feel too good during, after a session, I look at the possibility that I may have applied too much dosage at the point. So I'm really relying mostly on what, what the patient's feedback is to me. Mm. Now, in another 10 years, when I'm a better practitioner, hopefully, would I be able to answer that question? Probably. 
But for right now, I mean, because the patients have how the patient feels is so valuable to the treatment process and is the gold standard for our care. You know, I really just rely it on, um, you know, that said though, for instance, like, you know, when, when a patient's doing well and say the fundamental treatment has worked really well and the meridian balancing has worked really well, I'll always ask a patient how they're doing before I do any symptomatic treatment. And if we get the results after the fundamental treatment, which is, you know, roughly two thirds of the way through the treatment, that's the treatment no more treatment. You know, I've had patients, um, where bleed all 10 Jingwell points and that's the, that's the whole treatment. No fundamental treatment. Like a strong treatment. Well, it, it, yeah, it could, it can be enough. It can be enough depending on how they're doing afterwards. So this is interesting. Often I hear that we should tonify first and drain second. When I think of bleeding points, mm -hmm. I think of draining. And so it sounds like like the steps that we have here with Dr. Bear, the first thing is you get rid of the excess. The second thing is you're focusing on the illness. Yeah. And then from there, you're doing the fundamental treatment and then um, alleviation of suffering. So that's an interesting point. And this is actually kind of what what's, comes out in the check method and the okay method is there are points in time in the treatment. If I said to you, Michael, at this, does this patient need to be tonified? Does this point need to be tonified or sedated? You would say it must be tonified. And then you do the check method. And lo and behold, the patient gets a better result by reducing that point. And in that case, if you reduce that point, you will tonify the patient. Doing to a patient that which needs to be done, regardless of whether you're tonifying, reducing, or performing an even treatment, will always tonify the patient. The famous silver rule, not do unto others as you'd have others do unto you, yeah. but do unto others as they would like to have done unto them. It's beautiful. You know, regarding uh, bleeding, if they need to be bled, it's because you stop bleeding when the blood turns from dark to bright, which means the blood that you're originally eliminating from the system is stagnant. It has not been at the heart for a long time. It can't return to the heart, which is why it's unoxygenated. And you stop as soon as you uh, get oxygenated, bright, fresh blood there whether it's one drop that you express or 50. But at that point, it's like the, the pump is now primed and the circuit flow has been reinvigorated. How can that not tonify a patient? Yeah, no, that's, um, well, you know, I mean, we're back to that line about the regular doctor. Yeah just sees and treats what's in front of them, the more superior doctor sees what else is, you know, sees something else of what's going on within the system and the cycle. And so here we have what ostensibly you could call a stagnation treatment mm -hmm. that is draining, but because yeah. it's what they need, yeah, it's actually tonifying because it puts the physiology back in sync. In flow. That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and too much tonification is sedating. 
You mean that's like eating two big meals in a row? Yeah. Yeah. That's like having Thanksgiving and Christmas Day dinner right at one right after another. <laughs> yeah. You got it. You got it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, and going back to the bleeding, when I was in Japan in 2008, you know, Dr. Bear's wife is an acupuncturist and acted as his assistant. And, um, you know, Dr. Bear, so she hasn't, she has her, she's visually impaired, but has a significant amount of her eyesight. But I kept on asking her patient after patient, is this blood stagnation? Is this blood stagnation? And she would go, no, not that. <laughs> nope, not that. But it was really learning what does that look like, you know, and not just doing it, you know, indiscriminately. Yeah, that's a, that's a really helpful filter to put on it. I've heard other people talk about this as well, where actually using the, the four needles mm -hmm. and doing a, air quotes here, draining treatment, mm -hmm. but they're thinking of it more as, well, I'm removing a stagnation so the system can flow more properly. Yeah. So it's more like shunting energy away from where there's too much. Right. So that you can reestablish the proper flow. Right. And the Japanese Kampo practitioners, they will uh, find and eliminate Oketsu first, uh, blood stagnation first, with a Kampo treatment. That's, that's the highest order of their priority. You know, and just thinking in terms of, you know, again, getting into that, that theory we love so much. You know, what is, what is the whole purpose of, of blood? It's just a yang transmittal tube. So if the, if the blood is stagnant, the yang has permanently left. And therefore, there's no possibility of reestablishing the relationship of yin and yang within the blood. So that blood is dead. It has to be removed. What's the, 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 you know, the underscore of the Jin Fang? You know, Dr. Barrow taught the same thing. It's find where the yang is and move the right amount of yang inside the yin. And the flow of qi will be reestablished. You asked me, what is the classic statement of Han Dynasty, all the Han Dynasty texts, whether it's the herbal or the acupuncture? That's, that's what it boils down to. Okay, so this is just a little bit provocative in a way. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh yeah, tonification, we need to put something in. But tonification can mean helping the entire system to function at a higher level. That might mean taking something away. Okay. I'm, I'm with you on that. Can you give us an example from your work in, in using these methods that would demonstrate it from the point of view of someone who's laying on your table in a situation they may have and how you address that? So address, okay, restate the last bit and to redress which? Yes. So can you give us a clinical example? You were just saying something about moving the, the yang into the into yin. Into the yin. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, t tell us more about that. Because I, I don't think I quite understand it, but I hear you say it and I go, oh, that makes sense. Wait a minute. How does that make sense? So help me understand how it makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, yang is physiological warmth and physiological warmth is what moves fluids, just like in nature. 
So going to um, the husband-wife, for instance, the focus is to identify the young identify, and this is very different from the, the TCM or the other Japanese, um, which focus was, which where they're looking at the, um, the most efficient yin channel and then trying to use the other yin channels to, to balance that out. The way I saw Dr. Bear treat is he would identify the yang channel that needed to be treated through the okay sign treat that and then treat the yin channel. So essentially moving yang into the yin. So the example of the Nanjing husband and wife, which is Nanjing 33, I think, stomach channel and kidney channel basically build or are associated with the great movement of fire. So if fire is deficient, you know, you identify the points on the stomach channel then you treat that and then you would look for a point on the kidney channel to then go ahead and treat. So then you're moving the yang into the yin, which then in this case, yang earth into yin water and kidney. Yang earth stomach. I'm just visualizing this in my mind, Mm -hmm. bringing it into along the co cycle. May I add, Yin water, kidney. Now, I know in TCM, we really preference the yin organs. The yang organs are kind of like, yeah, yeah, like you second-class citizens, like whatever. But here, you're talking about you first get things working in the yang because we need that heat and movement. And then you bring that into the more quiescent yin so that the yin is invigorated by that yang. Yeah, yeah. And stated another way, it's almost the inverse, is find out where the yang isn't and then how to allow the yang to move into it. Where the yang isn't, you will have too much yin. Where the yang isn't, you will have too much yin. Yes, of course, that, well, I mean, I hear you say it and I go, yes, of course, that makes sense. But again, it's easy to forget that that's actually the case. Well, and it goes back to we have a very, we are a materialistic culture. We like stuff we can feel, measure, quantify. And so that's our, that's our genetic kind of proclivity is to, to like to work with the yin, like to work with that which we can see. So there's a cultural affinity for that, that I think in order, if we're really going to treat classically, we have to sort of retrain ourselves out of. Mm-hmm. constantly. So I, I want to hang with this for just another minute or two, because I, I feel like I'm starting to get a get a grasp of it, no pun intended. When you're checking that yang stomach, that earth yang, the stomach, because you know you want to invigorate that yin water of the kidney. So you're first checking mm-hmm. the stomach channel. Are you looking for areas like you would look for for any acupuncture point? Maybe it's indented. Maybe there's no luster. Maybe it's even cold to the touch, something like that. Well, so what I would be doing is, um, in this case, I would be finding an area 
of the patient where there is an out of balance. It could be a tight neck muscle. It could be the mm-hmm. pulse. If I'm you know comfortable feeling the changes of the pulse, it could be you know on the tummy. You know just just t- rub you know holding your hand on the on the tummy and on the hara and feeling for changes in luster and then shape there. And then you would then with your checking hand. You would then basically, and, and years ago, Dr. Bear would have a start with the shoe mm-hmm. stream points. Year, years later, he got much too punk to do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but as a starting point, I'm going to go back to historically, but he would have us check the shoe point of the stomach channel. And if that gave us an okay time, if the breathing of the patient improved or the the shape of the the hara or the abdomen would improve or then the scm muscles in the neck would soften or the shoulder you know g around gb21 would you know loosen up just a little bit then that would be could be an okay sign and then we would say okay now i have i've zeroed in on the stomach channel i can now just focus all of my approach and you know and i may have checked a couple of other channels but now I've eliminated in this treatment the need to worry about any of the other channels. I could just now know that the patient is going to respond well to the stomach channel treatment. And I'm just going to now find which point on the stomach channel, excuse me, does the patient need? And then repeat that process of checking. Okay. Is the patient tests okay? That zeroes me in. And then I can move on. Or... Let's just say, I think, theoretically, that I need to treat earth yang, move it into yin, uh, yin water, and I do the checking method. I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't get an okay sign. I didn't get any improvement at all on, on that. And now it's back to the drawing board. I can doggedly, I can blindly follow my theory and apply my tr- theory and blame somebody else when the treatment doesn't work. Or I can take the extra time with the patient, go back to the drawing board and say, that wasn't what the patient needed. Now what? And apply a different theory. Maybe that will be helpful. I've had so many times I've gotten to the point of putting a needle in someone. I go and check the pulse or the, ab, you know, whatever I'm checking. And I, it's like, nope, that, ooh, that, that pulse should not have gotten wirier. <laughs> and, and I'll take the needle out. Right. And, you know, sometimes patients are like, well, wait, you just put that in. What are you doing? It's like, well, you know, it was a really good idea that didn't work out. Well, you know, I, I love your authenticity and honestness with the patient. I think that really being that upfront with a patient is brilliant. Um, I've tried being more sneaky and it didn't help. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> when all else fails, do the right thing, right? I'm an American. It'll be the last thing I do, but it'll be right. <laughs> so I just want to come back to this again because I'm, you know, every time I talk to somebody, I feel like I learned something and I, and I want to make sure that I'm getting this. So you might have an idea that you want to take that young earth into the yin water. And so you'll find something on the body that's got your attention. It could be the 
the abdomen, it could be the pulse, it could be the SEM, it could be anything that that you just happen to cotton to that can be a little sounding board for what you're doing. And then you go and you investigate the different points. And if you find one that makes a change in that area, that's letting you know that it's your sounding board, so to speak. If you get a change in that, then okay, I can go for this point and treat that and move forward in this very Japanese way of working. Here's this thing that's showing up. Here's how I know it's showing up. I'm treating it. It changes. Rinse, wash, repeat. So does Dr. Bear frequently do this thing of taking the yang into the yin like this? In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. It's interesting because as I watched him over the, say, 15 years, I, well, you know, well, 20 years really from the time I started, trained with him, I would say that sedation and essentially working with the young channels became more and more prominent and powerful, which was really countervailing. So this idea of finding where the yang isn't and moving the yang into the area got more and more of a hallmark and he got better and better at doing it. So I'd say towards the end, he actually arrived at a point in his treatment style. And, and this is something I still have a lot of study to do. And unfortunately I made a trip. It was a, out to see him in 2019 and it ended up uh, being the last time, mm. you know, two weeks later, COVID hit. And so, you know, he didn't have any contact with anyone for till he, till he, almost till he passed away. But he got to the point where he just knew how to reduce and the yang would flow into the area. It was really, it was really pretty cool to watch, actually. Say that became, that was more and more prominent, more and more important throughout the whole, then as a whole thrust of his entire approach over the, over his career. As we're having this conversation, I, I, I feel like I can begin to get the sense of that. You know, we we're talking earlier about 
doing bleeding at the beginning. And, and my first thought was, but that's reducing. No one reduces in the beginning. Well, if you're looking at it from a slightly broader perspective and you're standing in a certain place and you're seeing that, well, actually that area is not getting yang chi, I'm going to do what I can to bring some yang chi to that. It doesn't mean put some more yang in the system. It'd be like being on the highway at rush hour. Yeah, you can go fast on the highway. Let's put more cars on it. Oh, that'll slow it down. Take the cars off to make the cars go faster. You know, and I even wonder if our own kind of coming out of our own Western, because we come out of a salvational culture. You know, we we Judeo Christian. It's a it's a salve, it's a salvific worldview, and and I wonder if our views about tonification and sedation and our own role in the, in the as acupuncturists is somehow very inaccurate because. Are we the one really putting the yang in? Dr. Bear really was listening to what the body needed and responding rather than acting as the, as, as the person dumping the stuff in. So, Well, you yeah. know, there is that idea that we as acupuncturists were doing something and that we're putting something in the body or taking something out of the body. But, I mean, unless you're putting herbs in the body or maybe you've got some you know, really banging Qigong and you can fa chi, that kind of thing. But I don't know, that whole fa chi thing that, I mean, that's a whole different conversation and, and something that actually makes me really, really nervous. I, w I think I would much rather work with, I'm. You, you say, you know, what makes you nervous about that fa chi thing? Well, I think it goes back to, is that really what the whole function of what we're doing is and and are are we we're placing ourselves as sort of like this high priest of 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 our patient's health and it assumes again this salvational model you know the patients have the ability to rebalance we can't change their karma we can't change their their ultimate capability to survive in this life all we can do is put them back on the path or sort of help facilitate their Tao of their existence. And to pretend that we're doing more or less than that is, if nothing else, it's not healthy as a, it's not, it's not a healthy relationship for us as practitioners with our patients. Let's just dig into this just a little bit here. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think we've got a big challenge and, and some of it very well might stem from this salvational mindset that is really unavoidable for us as Westerners. Even if you're an atheist and you go, I don't believe all that bullshit, we still grew up with it and it's still there. The most evangelical place I've ever lived was Berkeley, California. And I live, I grew up in Utah and I live in the Bible Belt. <laughs> so now in Georgia. So, but the most evangelical place I've ever lived was Berkeley, California. So I, I agree. Can't take the, that worldview out of anyone in our culture. How is it evangelical? You know, it's running off the same Mad Lib. You know, I'm gonna. We got to save the planet. We've got to, you know, we've got to save the the indigenous people. We've got to, you know, we've got to. Yeah. So it ends up being Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai. You know, saving his little brown brothers in Japan who, you know, needed him. That was a great movie, actually. <laughs> it was a great movie. I, I watched it on an airplane ride back from Europe recently, and. Uh... I love at the end, 
I'm probably going to spoil this for folks, but there's, there's this great line at the end where the emperor says, tell me how he died. This is a great samurai, right? Tell me how he died. And Tom Cruise says, let me tell you how he lived. Yeah. We could go on. We could go way far afield here with this, uh, too far into this salvational thing, but <laughs> okay. But yeah, really, yeah, my yeah. friend, maybe a conversation for another day. And, and the reason that I bring this up, and why I've actually uh, gone a little bit down this road, is the tacit agreement in medicine in our modern world is that we know something and we have something as medical practitioners, and we should, or we shouldn't be in the business. But the tacit agreement is we have something and we're going to do something in service of the patient getting better, ideally, without too much effort on their part. Our job is to do something that might be helpful. And and that's also true. However, then we get into this thing of, well, I fixed their XYZ, or what's even worse is our patients say, you fixed my XYZ. Yep. And I'm going to argue that that is a critical error. It would be the same error. And I tell patients this. I said, it would be a very foolish gardener that actually believed that they're the ones that made the tomatoes grow. The tomatoes grow because they're tomatoes. So I said, I'm a gardener. I'm not a mechanic. And I'm certainly not your savior. Tomatoes grow because they're tomatoes. And yeah, I mean, if you, if you had a gardener who walked around and said, I created these, they sprung out of the earth and look at the massive cucumbers that I've created in my own hand. You would think that guy was a lunatic. And yet we do it all the time as practitioners. That's the ego. And, and that is the minute we stop being good practitioners. And I would argue it's the mm. minute we stop growing as practitioners. Well, you know, what's more dangerous for a practitioner, your successes or your failures? Oh, the successes by far. I've, I've, every, I've always learned more when I failed. Well, certainly the invitation to learn something in the midst of failure is more poignant, right? Our feet are to the fire. Learning from our successes, I think that's that's probably a little bit like being able to give just enough treatment, but not too much because we recognize that we're there. Well, well, and it's not that we can't learn from our, our successes, but it's easy. It's easy to learn from Is our it? successes. I don't, I, I think it's harder to learn from successes myself because there's not that, that pain point that's okay. got my damn attention. And it's easy to kind of sit back and, and kind of like, huh, look at that. I, I got the hang of this. Look at me. The, the assumption that because I've done it once, I can do it again and again and again. Well, even if maybe I've done it a dozen times. But, of course, it's always with this patient in this moment. And, you know, it's, it's like going up to bat. Yeah. Curveball, slider, fastball, knuckleball. <laughs> I've clearly lived in nice. St. Louis too long, and I'm beginning to get the religion of baseball. Yep, that is that is that is the religion now. Well, I mean, in, in St. Louis, it's totally a religion. I mean, it's crazy. Anyway, it's awesome. I thank you for your time today. The, uh, in particular, this this piece about getting the patient what they need as 
as a way of describing what tonification is. That's really, really helpful. Well, I really appreciate it because, you know, with Dr. Passing, it's sort of like, what would he want people to take away? And, and that really is a piece of it. Are there any other, and not that we're going to go into it at this moment, but are there any other major pieces that you think he would have wanted people to get? You know, the other, I mean, the other, I think this goes without saying, but people may not know it, but um, I mean, really the, the two pieces were the check method. And then the other one was bringing back or his focus on the non-invasive needles from the nine ancient needles. That was, re- those were really the two things that just kind of drove his style. And then just the minimalism, the once you think you have it, what can I eliminate next that is superfluous, that does not contribute? If I can eliminate something and it, it will, and it benefits the patient, then I have a stronger treatment. I have a stronger result. Wow. I know I've spent a lot of my career thinking, what else do I need to do to make this better? Mm. Yeah. And, and that was probably the hardest thing to follow as someone who's followed him for so long. And, and I've structured the acupuncture portion of my clinic as carefully as I could around his, his flow and his treatment process. But every time I went back, he was eliminating pieces of the treatments and it was getting stronger. I said, what about this? He goes, eh, it's not important. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like really good poetry, a single line. Yeah. Yes. That's just so... I mean, it'll that'll reverberate in you for a long time, right? Or, or, or for instance, you know, um, one of my favorite authors, E.B. White. I'm my daughter's ten. I'm reading with her, Stuart Little, which is well below her grade level. But the reason I am is because nothing extra was added ever to his writing, and everything that needed to be there was present. And it was, I mean, if you, the, the delivery of every single word was magical as a result. With nothing extra added. Yeah. And there's the magic. Yeah. And it just, it just reading, reading even a kid's book written like that is just brilliant. Well, you know, the best kid's books aren't yeah. just for kids. Well, I, I'm enjoying reading that more than my daughter is. <laughs> I love it. All right, my friend. Thank you for uh, taking a little time here to talk about Dr. Bear and his work and his uh, contribution. And if people were interested in learning more about his work, where would they go at this point? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because we have this old Yahoo email list that's just kind of there and people will post questions from time to time. And that's I mean, that's so antiquated now, but what we're, we're, what we're going to do, we've just done is we've just put in, it's not really up yet, but it actually, by the time this posts, it probably will be in some fashion, but we're getting a Dr. Bear Facebook group going just called Dr. Bear and it's D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-A-R. So you should be able to find us on Facebook, but I'm not a Facebooky person. So this is a a strat. I'll make sure to put a note on the show notes page about that so people can check it out. All right. Well, till next time then. Yeah. 
Thanks, Michael. Let's face it, East Asian medicine can be hard, even though it all comes back to the great tidal flows of yin and yang. It is all the whirlpools, eddies, and strange flows generated by the 10,000 things that makes it tricky. When I get confused in clinic, I come back to the basic question of am I looking at excess or deficiency? It's been a helpful touchstone to reorient myself, and today's discussion with David throws some more troublesome nuance into just what is excess and what is deficiency. That on first glance, stagnation can look like excess, but its effects are that of deficiency. And sometimes tonification means draining away of excess, like an exhale allows for an inhale. Every time I think I have something nailed down with Chinese medicine, I have to remember to add in the thought for now, for this moment. I do reckon this is what the old books are getting at when they suggest the superior practitioner can see below the surface of things. It's tricky. We like to nail things down in our materialistic, salvation or Western world to have a reliable answer that fits into a flowchart. But our medicine is a bit slippery and asks us to be open-mindedly awake and attentive. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.